stay there. You know what? I believe that every single person on this planet can make a difference. And I believe that we all have something to offer, something that's so unique that it will change somebody else's life. I believe we all deserve to step into our true selves. And I believe that every single person needs to feel great about themselves. I want you to step into who you truly are and I want you to make a difference for somebody else and for yourself. And I don't think it's that hard. It's a matter of putting one step in front of the other and just taking action. And I'm interviewing guests that have done just that. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where you can make that decision to make your life count. It all starts with you saying yes. Howdy, and welcome back to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. Now, for any avid listeners, you would know that I actually missed last week. I was um, I was a bit under the weather, quite crook, and it didn't even cross my mind. So I don't know what the hell I was thinking. But I missed last week, and it's made me start wondering, hmm, I wonder if I didn't put myself under so much pressure and had to show up every week, what would happen? Anyway, I don't know the answer to that yet, but sorry about not turning up last week. This week, I am chatting with Jan Clark, and she is the founder of Door 2, which is a support group, and it's actually bigger than that. She can tell you what it is, but it's it's um, incredibly successful for people with eating disorders. So, if this is something that interests you, um, this episode is going to be fabulous. It's a long one, but it um, we do touch on a lot of great stuff and it'll really get you thinking about how we're approaching a lot of um, a lot of disorders actually, but in particular eating disorders. So if that's up your alley or you, well, not up your alley, but if that's causing you some pain, um, you're going to really enjoy this episode or get a lot out of it. So I'll stop talking about it. I'm not an expert on it. And let's get into it. So welcome, Jan. Uh, thank you for having me, Karen. It's awesome to get back together again. I love talking to you. I know. It's, it's a fair while between drinks, actually, isn't it? Not that we even drink. I don't yeah. think I've ever had a drink with you. Well, I don't drink, so I'd be pretty boring. Um, I'm one of those people who can have a really, really good time as if I'm drunk without any booze on board. Me yeah. too. Me too. I'm a 20-cent yeah. 20 20 cent date, I am. I don't know if that's such a thing. I don't, actually, I don't actually think I would survive drinking because I'm capable of having so much fun without it that I can't imagine how unsafe I would be. If I uh, if I floated, I, I reckon I'd be yeah, not very safe to be around. Yeah, I know a lot of people who have a wine every night or two wines every night. I I have one one red wine occasionally. You know, someone will get out, will go out for dinner or something. A red one, a red wine. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, and I fall asleep. I'm absolutely bloody shocking. <laughs> Well, if, with um, well, if benzos are any indication on me, when I was having chemotherapy, they gave me benzodiazepam or, or benzos, um, and I did the benzos. I was up all <laughs> night. I was I was so jacked up I could have held up a Seven Eleven. I tell you, I was <laughs> I was buying shit all night, and then all this stuff starts turning up to the door, and um, 
it was during COVID. So it was like lockdown central. And um, my husband goes, what's all this crap that's arriving at the door? It was parcel after parcel. And some of it was double ups and triple ups of the same thing. I was fine. This skirt turned up and my daughter, Bronte, says to me, Mum, you would never have bought that skirt. She goes, but it's got my name all over it, so thank you very much. That was 750 bucks. She goes, how did you find your way onto the website? So then at night time they started taking my wallet out of the room so that I couldn't go on the spinzo. <laughs> so that's any indication. I don't know what I built. No, no, I don't think we need that alcohol. <laughs> no, we don't need that vision. Yeah. <laughs> shit. God, that's hilarious. Oh, shit. Now I'm going to try and talk about something serious. Jesus. All I can see is you. It's serious, but you can still have a laugh even about serious stuff. In fact, I know. if I didn't have a humor, I would not survive the work that I do. No, yeah. absolutely not. And the work you yeah. do, as I mentioned in the intro, is about eating disorders, which is, um, I think, well, there's a couple of things I want to say. One, I think it's um, really misunderstood. Two, yeah. it's not. It's really hard to get the right help, which which you're doing. But it's also, um, uh, uh, it's like an it's almost like an invisible thing. Do you know? You, you know, you don't know it's there until it's sort of too late. Yeah. You know, that's a really um, it's, it's a well. Eating disorders tend to fly under the radar. Yeah. So you know, if we were to say roughly eight percent of the female population have got some form of eating disorder or disordered eating, I'd say. If we said around 80% of people don't feel okay about their bodies would be a really accurate place to start. Mm. So we live in a culture where we're pretty much told that we need to look a certain way to be worthy. Yeah. And uh, it's a real challenge, particularly with kids, to mm. to teach them that, you know, you, you, you need to do you. Mm. Don't worry about what the next person's doing. That's easier said than done. When you're young, mm. you want to you want to fit in with the crowd. You want to belong. And so you're constantly masking your way through life and trying to adapt to the changing situation. Let's be honest. I gave up on my body, I don't know, 30 years ago when I said, look, it's going to do what it's going to do and I'm just going to, I'm going to be a lover, not a fighter. And I'm just going to let it go where it wants to go. And um <laughs> To tell you a funny story, I was um, going to a wedding in in Perth and I used to keep my good clothes up at the farm because we lived in a tiny little place down in Melbourne. And I said to my husband, when you're up at the farm, can you get me that blue dress? And he says, oh, you mean the one you wore to Bronte's wedding? And I said, yep. Yeah. And he goes, oh, good luck with that. <laughs> He's heading out the door. And I'm like, well, what are you saying specifically? And he goes, look, it, it's up to you if you want to try and force yourself into it, but uh, I don't think it's going to be a happy experience. <laughs> well, I couldn't even get out of my arms. It just wouldn't even go any further. But that's how aware I was because I I like my body. Mm-hmm. I don't have an issue with it. I don't see my body in a shameful way. I don't. I don't actually ever really look at myself in any way other than it is good today, Jan. That's that's pretty okay. In fact, 
I think it might have been the fault of the mirror at our house in Melbourne because I'd get out of the shower and I'd go, you look amazing. <laughs> and, then, and then I saw myself in a different mirror one day and I went, that mirror's lying. <laughs> I know what I look like. Anyway, it turned out we had one of those skinny mirrors, you know, yeah. that made you look real good. But occasionally I'll catch a glimpse of myself in a mirror and I go, is that what you actually look like? And it's not the picture I have in my head. Yeah. But I realise I'm just really comfortable in my skin and I just don't have any issues with my body, but that's quite rare. It is rare, yeah. Amongst females to always be thinking about the way other people view you and yeah. see you. And when you're younger, it's really important that that's positive. And mm. so constantly trying to, I don't know, craft yourself in, into someone that you're probably not meant to be. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's not. It's dangerous in so many ways, and not not just eating disorders. You know, just in so many ways to pretend yeah. to 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 feel the need to be something that you're not. How many of the? Well, first of all, I was going to say, how many of the people that come through door two are young? I'm interested in that question, but and then I want um, to know what door two is. Well, we've got everyone. So to go back a little bit, not everybody who goes on a diet and let's be honest, that's almost everyone at some point yeah. in their life is going to develop an eating disorder. Yeah. The ones who are most likely going to are your very perfectionistic, high-achieving, um, competitive, sensitive, um, people-pleasing, black-and-white thinking, very persistent high achievers, you know, attention to detail. They're our school captains, they're our kids, I can walk into a school and pick them out, but I can also walk into the Olympic team and pick them out. So when they go into energy deficit, the energy deficit that comes with any diet that go on, it triggers something in their DNA that switches on all of these genes and not in a good way. So now I'm in the Olympics for weight loss and I'm going to be bloody good at it, yeah. right? So I'm yeah. perfectionistic, high-achieving, competitive and I'm going to compare myself to everyone else and I'm going to keep going with that number and push that down because I now can't stop because I'm black and white in the way I see my success. I'm driven to succeed. I've got attention to detail. I I need certainty and predictability. These are all, we call them our ducks. But most of all, I can persist. I can win survivor. I can out-survive. I can outlast. I can outplay you. So now that my mind has switched on to that, I can't let that go. Mm. And that can become deadly very, very quickly. Mm. And then when we try to get treatment in there, you are you've basically got these these ducks and this mind determined to achieve what it's set out to achieve. Mm. And now you've got treatment coming on the other side and saying, Well, no, you won't. Mm. And what's stuck in the middle is this this self, this person who says, All I wanted to do was be me. And somehow I'm in this terrible conflict now and it gets very, very out of control or can get very out of control very quickly. So we have got we've got kids of seven through to women of 55. We've got boys. We've got people who are struggling with their gender identity, trying to figure out who they are. We've got everyone in Door 2 because Door 2 is this amazing community of people who are well, I'm very grateful to be part of them, 
but it's this beautiful, inclusive community who just cares deeply for one another. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. It's like that song, who you are, that Backstreet Boys song, who you are, what house you live in, whatever you do, you're welcome indoor too. Wow. I tell you what, that's some very unusual in any part of society to have a whole, you know, even there's a lot of um, places that say they're very inclusive, you you know, and, and... and not oh churches, <laughs> but anyway, but you know, well, well, I grew up in one of those, and I can tell you right now, they're not. No, the one not. I grew up in with was not. Um, I remember going to the bishop of my church when I discovered that people of color couldn't join the church, and I, I said, I've just heard this, and he said, Well, you just lack obedience, oh. and you won't too many questions. And I said, but I can't accept this. Now, I'm a child of the 50s, so this was in the um, sort of like late 60s where I went and said, is this true that people, you know, African-American people can't join the Mormon church? And he said, yeah, that's absolutely true because they carry the mark of Cain. I go, what's that? And he said, well, they're dark-skinned. And I said, but Jesus was black. And he said, how do you know that? And I said, look on the map. Look what. Look where he came from. Like, I'm pretty sure he was olive. And when he went outside, he probably didn't need a lot of sunscreen. And I went, I don't understand. And every question I asked was met with, well, you just need to accept, Jan. You ask too many questions and you're not obedient and that's your problem. And I could not accept it. And then I, when I found out that that people who were homosexual were excommunicated from the church. That was the end of me. I just went, I can't do this religion that that preaches equality and unconditional love when everything is conditional. And then when I ask a question, I'm told that I'm disobedient and I need to just accept. So I've always been a rebel, Karen. Well, I'm glad you've always been a rebel and... Um, I'm glad you are disobedient because <laughs> um, no, because it, let's go back to door two. It's it's like that sort of forms part of it. Your disobedience, Do you, you know, is a yes, when it like yeah. I know it started from your daughter, and you can you know tell us that story. But but you weren't getting the answers that you wanted, you know, which which is um, you keep asking, keep asking, keep being disobedient until finally you yeah. say, well, screw the lot of you. I'm going to start something of my own, like because you're not giving me the answer so there's a lot of people who are obedient you know and and sort of um yeah there are yeah fall into the well you know best you know I'll just obey I'll just do what I what you tell me to do because you're the professional and I should be submissive to you and it doesn't pay off very often so so I I fell for that for a nanosecond um a little bit longer than a nanosecond but I think it was more the fact that Bronte got very unwell very quickly and needed hospitalisation. And Bronte's your daughter, just to clarify. Bronte's my daughter. Yeah. She's now 40-something. Yeah. I've lost track. But she became, she was 15. Back then that would have been the typical onset age for an eating disorder. My older daughter, Samantha, she was doing medicine and she said, Mum, Bronte's got an eating disorder. And I said, oh, don't be ridiculous. And she said, no, I'm watching and I'm seeing it. And she was the one that picked it up. She wasn't learning about in medicine, but she was mindful of behaviours. 
And so at first I was not even sure myself. We went to the GP, said, yeah, I think she's got an eating disorder. but had no idea what it was. Off we go to the hospital. I was relieved. I went, they're going to tell us what to do here. And I sat there on the chair waiting for the doctors to come in and say, right, there's an operation or there's a tablet or we're going to do this or we're going to do that. And then it became aware that they didn't know what to do. And I felt really terrified as the days went by and they couldn't tell us anything and things were escalating and getting very out of control. I started to panic inside myself when I realised we're kind of on our own here. We're all, we're all at sea without a port. These people don't have any idea what they're doing. And they've got no more idea than I've got, actually. And all the time in university hadn't actually taught them anything. My, my kid was a, she was a science project. Uh, and, yeah. and the one thing that I didn't like was the judgment and the cruelty. And um, we had some terrible experiences in the hospital with people thinking that she could choose a different behaviour. But it's a mental illness by this yeah, stage. And yeah. they were treating her as if she was a naughty girl. And this is a kid who'd never left my side and was the most obedient, people-pleasing person you'd ever come across. And all of a sudden she wasn't anymore. And I was confused by that, but I certainly wasn't going to let the hospital take it out on her mm. and and treat her as if she was an naughty child because she just wasn't. So I went to I went to war with the doctors and the nurses and everyone and said, no, 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 you don't get to treat her that way. Mm. And when one registrar one day said, well, what I'm going to do is, um, you know, like she's not complying, so I'm going to take her coloured pencils away and I'm going to put her hair in a rubber band and give her hospital-issue pyjamas and shut the blind and cut her off in the world until she just agrees. And I said, you You've learned this way. And he said, well, we've got to try something. And I said, no, no, she's not a guinea pig. And he said, well, that's it. We made this decision. And I said, well, you can't stop me reading a book to her. And he said, well, yes, we can. We can get the security guards. I said, go for it. And I sat there and read James Herriot dog stories to her as loud as I could. So everyone heard them for 10 hours till finally security came and escorted me from the hospital for reading my kid a story. So wow. <laughs> we ended up, we knew that she would die if we stayed here, so we went to Canada for four and a half years. And it was during that time that I started to really learn about what went on inside the mind of a person who was going through this experience and that's kind of where it started. Yeah. Wow, wow. But And so when you went to Canada, <clears throat> what, what was the difference? Like why, 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 why Canada? Well, we basically... Well, there was nowhere in Australia that could handle her behaviours. They were pretty extreme. And so, well, they were very extreme. And she would have died. There was no way we could keep her alive here. We didn't know enough. We didn't understand enough. She gave us little glimpses into her mind, but not enough for me to be able to really counterspin what was going on in there. Mm. And also, we didn't have the manpower to do 24 one-on-one and support and that's what she needed so that's basically what we bought ourselves by going to Canada and it was not a cheap exercise Karen it cost oh. us seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars in 1996. Wow wow yeah. which we had to foot the bill for um there was no support there was no crowdfunding it was just you do this if you want your child to make it and it was after that that I said 
we we can't have families going overseas and having to resort to these extreme measures. So we opened up our first drop-in centre. Um, you know, we chucked a pencil case in the middle of tables and chuck in a couple of bucks and we'll put some coffee on for you and it turned into a mosh pit in about six weeks. Wow. I didn't know what I was doing, but I realised now what I was being was kind and mm. unconditional mm. in our love and support for other the families going through the same thing and we said we'll figure it out together and we did. And how how long was that? All was that in the nineties when you opened up that drop in centre? Uh, our very first drop in centre we opened up in two thousand. Yeah, we became the Brunty Foundation in two thousand and three. We grew to become Australia's largest service provider by two thousand and seven, and then we were acquired by a major health network, and they turned us into, you know, a mainstream delivery service. And it was at that point that I went to war again and said, "Hang on a minute, this isn't how we do things," but what I learned was you can't transition something as different as what we did at Bronte Foundation into a mainstream health service. They're not the same animal. Mm. It's like trying to make a pig with an elephant. It's not going to work. Yeah. They're, they're different species. So, but Did you stay with that mainstream provider? I did. Or? I stayed there for about 18 months. Um, I, I At that point um, I did a, a keynote um, plenary speech at a big international conference and my talk was on social recovery and I told the story of Sarah, one of the incredible young women I'd had the privilege of working with at um, the Bronte Foundation. She was on palliative care and our team worked to get her out of palliative care and recovered. She's now wow. a mum of two young girls that she's done all on her own as wow. a single mum. Wow. Um, and I told that story and after I told that story, I, I walked down and I rang Graham and said, I'm done. I'm finished with eating disorders. I'm, I'm done. And I need to take a break. Mm. I really did. I stepped away from it for a while because it was all now safely in the public health system and going swimmingly, um, mm. supposedly, yeah. but not really. And it had, I felt a bit... Like I can't fight this behemoth. I can't make the system change. Um, and at that point, you know, startups weren't heard of, and entrepreneurship wasn't heard of, and there wasn't there wasn't the opportunity to do what we've done now. So I I took a breather and I asked myself what I wanted to be when I grew up, <laughs> and wrestled with my soul a bit. Thought I might want to go and work at a shop, wear some shiny jewelry that I'm attracted to sparkly things. Yeah. And thought maybe that will make me happy and feel complete. That lasted about I don't know six months because you might have figured I've got ADHD. Till I came up with the next bright idea, and I decided maybe I'll just be a consultant who flies around Australia and goes into people's homes and troubleshoots. And that's what I did for ten years. Wow! I just would fly from. State to state to state, sometimes three states a day, sometimes Perth and back in a day, never advertised. People, word of mouth, people would find out. You can get Bronte, uh, Bronte Cullis's mum to come into your home and she'll sort it out for you. And that's what I did. I just, for 10 years, I went and worked in families' homes and loved it. And then everyone recovered. And I went, well, it's probably a good time to retire now. So I bought myself a farm in Gippsland and sat myself down on the porch with a cup of coffee and and then the rest is history. 
Yeah, but hang on, hang on. I'm missing a bit. So the, the Bronte Centre went to a, a public, to a, you know, out yeah. to the... Yeah. But did you ever yeah. require that back or is it, it is it still out? No, it was, no, no, no. It, it was well and truly acquired. All the assets were transferred over and yeah. it was meant to be a standalone unit within this major health network, but it couldn't be. Even though we did 18 months of due diligence to look at is this possible, it just can't. It can't mm. because of the medical, legal, procedural logistics of a public health system it couldn't have a rogue agent inside it like mm. like the Brunchy Foundation or Door 2 where we hug everyone who comes in the room and they're an equal. Mm. It doesn't work. There's a there's a power discrepancy in the public health system with power without power, doctor without doctor. Yeah. yeah. I tell you what to do, you do what I tell you to do, you follow the rules sort of thing. We never did that. We sat as equals with our families. We had... We had armchairs with layback chairs in the office where the mothers could come in with a cup of coffee and mm. they just couldn't, they could not integrate it. They said, how can you do this? And we went, oh, we just do. We're just, we're just being human and we're sitting with people in, in the poo and if they're in the poo, we're in the poo with them and then we'll all get out of the poo together but not one of us is getting out of the poo and leaving the other one in the poo. Yeah. We're... And they just couldn't wrap their head around it and went, it just doesn't work that way. So did so, it close down? Did it finish up? No, it's or? still going, but yeah. in a very different form. Yeah. yeah. It's been turned back into what you would expect in a very mainstream setting. Yeah. Mm. So, so, I mean, it was sad and that was somewhat, it was a real lesson for me that <laughs> you're a bit different, Jan, mm. <laughs> and what you think can be just can't be in the mainstream system. And it's why, as an educator, I was always a bit out there as well. Like I really would like to just take the class out in the bush and just go learn yeah. out there and not sit in a classroom. And yeah. But that isn't how life works. So for me, I would I was always going to have to create a different pathway for myself. Mm. Yeah. So so then you started um, door two, like, <clears throat> was that after you had your cup of coffee on the porch and went, yeah. you know, I've got ADHD, um, I can't sit here any longer? So <laughs> I walk. built fences, I <laughs> I was given the cow's haircut, they were running away from me, like, like, there's that woman again with the clippers trying to give me a buzz cut and make me look cute for a photo. <laughs> I think it wasn't enough, right? I just always need to be helping people. I need to be in with people in in the dirty, filthy muck of life. That's where I'm happiest, sitting in amongst it. Um, and I, I went to the council and I said, look, this is who I am. And they went, oh, no, we have psychologists. And I went, right, well, we know who you are. And I tried all the schools around here and they all told me to get nicked. So I came home, felt a bit sorry for myself, but I kept reaching out. And I found women in Gippsland, someone from women in Gippsland, and she said, oh, there's this new group starting up called um, Startup Gippsland. You need to talk to them. So I did an incubator course with them. Um, I used to say to Graham, I'm going to do my startup course. He goes, start up what? You've started up so many <laughs> When are you going to stop? <laughs> I said, he says, what are you making? What are you doing? I said, I don't know. 
and I would sit there every week in this course and they'd say, what's your idea, Jen? I go, I don't know. It's not coming to me. I think it's online stuff around eating disorders. And everyone looked at me like, are you crazy? I, it was not a well-thought-out idea. I didn't think so, you were crazy. No. <laughs> I didn't think you were crazy. <laughs> well, when when we met down, that was the accelerator course that I did. Philip Island, yeah. Yeah, and when we met, I still didn't have an idea, but it hatched that night sitting down talking to Dave Humphreys from Tiny Gardener. Yeah. yeah. And he says to me, why do you want to do this? And I, I said, I don't know, Dave. And he was very loud and he was very drunk and he's yelling at me across the table and he was trying to get me to crystallise an idea in my head and say, what is this thing? And I couldn't wrap my head around it. And then Steve got me and um, Elena got me and they all said, look, maybe you're not up for this, Jan, and, oh, you just don't say that to me. You just don't say, maybe you need to quit. And I went, oh, stuffed a lot of you. I'll show you because that's how I've always done it in life. When people say you can't do something, I go, oh, well, we'll see about that, won't we? That is my that is my persistent, perfectionistic, high-achieving, compete and compare duck that goes up yours. (laughs) I just went, I've got to talk to someone who's sensible, and that's Rachel Bradford, most beautiful dietitian in Brisbane. I rang her up on the way home and I said, I'm so frustrated. I don't know what I'm doing. And she said, Jan, you need to start with education for families. And wow. I went, okay. And we sort of talked about it. And I came back the next day and I had my idea. And Steve goes, it's like a transformation. We don't understand. You left here yesterday. You were angry and head down. And today you've turned up like a phoenix rising. You've got your idea. And there you go. So I went on. I went on, and um, during that time, I was diagnosed with stage three bowel cancer and had to have all the treatment and everything. So I kind of got in the middle, but I went on and won that pitch because I think I had the most put together idea enough to be able to speak about a potential product that I had. Yeah, and that product was a six week course for families. I don't know what I was thinking. Thinking six weeks would be enough, but. We ran that six-week course and I came up with this idea, well, what if I what if I ask people who have eating disorders, who I've worked with, to come in and to teach the families or be a mentor for the families so that families could ask them, well, tell me about your experience. So I came up with this novel idea, um, not so novel, but of insider-led recovery where people on the inside, we called them insiders, would lead their own recovery but teach other people's parents, well, this is what it's like for me. And I was like, of all the crazy crazy ideas I've ever come up with, this has got to be probably the most scary because I had no idea what they were going to say or how the parents were going to receive them, but they just fell in love with each other. Wow. Those those families just sat there and cried and wrapped their arms around these beautiful mentors and these mentors just reached out to these families and said, you didn't know, it's not your fault, don't be hard on yourself. And that was where our absolute 
inclusion and equality came in to door two where we went, doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, we don't care, you're here now, let's learn together and, you know, let's talk around the table, you know, pass the pace pipe round and just let things go. Lots of things have gone wrong along the way to getting here. It's what we do once you get here, how we heal those wounds, put those relationships back together. So families come in very broken, but they don't stay broken for long because the door to community wraps their arms around them and then we've got such great programs now. So what started with me with a cup of coffee was a phone call from Audrey's mother, Violetta, who's I call her the mad Macedonian. She's not taken no for an answer and she knows where you live and she's coming to find you. And so I said, all right, I'll help you, Violetta, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so Audrey was my first client back out of retirement and Audrey works as a mentor in door two. Isn't that fantastic? And, yeah, she's just this week finishing off her her undergraduate studies in philosophy Mm-hmm. And she's just been given a scholarship to Monash University next year to study bioethics. Wow. And she's going to write her thesis on epistemic injustice. Wow. <coughs> wow. Watch this space. The woman's yeah. taken over the world. Wow. And fuck is her favourite word, word, you know. Suck. It's a powerful word. <laughs> fuck. Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> fuck. Fuck you, Jen. Yeah. <laughs> so... At the age of 67, um, yeah, this year we've grown again. We've grown again. We've now got six, seven staff on, well, their team. Everyone chooses their own role. They choose the way they work. They choose their own hours. Everyone's got lived experience either, um, well, often with both, with neurodiversity and an eating disorder. And just about every well, everyone in door two is someone I have worked with over the last twenty years. Yeah, uh, wow. some of them are my clients who've recovered, who now want to be there because they want to be part of this amazing community. But most of all, um, it's just a really safe space mm. and a home for people to come to when they're wounded and overwhelmed. Mm. And I'm very grateful to have been given the opportunity to build it and I wouldn't have been able to do that without ADHD. <laughs> I love it. I just wouldn't have been able to do it. So is it, is a, is it, a, is it a um a physical space? <clears throat> like no, it's, it's, all, it's, it's all online. It's all online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All online. So my initial my initial thought when I went to that very first incubator course yep. was, hey, could you do this online? Could you connect online? Is it possible to actually form a human connection with someone? And back then Zoom wasn't a thing, so it was really FaceTime. Can you hold a camera here and talk to someone and get them to talk to you and open up their heart to you? And I discovered, well, yeah, Yeah. you can. Yeah. But you've got to be human. It's not going to work if you sit there and tell a person what to do. You've got to connect with them so our cornerstones really our pillars are connection trust honesty and accountability Mm. they're the four things that surround us all the time and we're always examining what we're doing is there judgment here if there is put it out yeah 
if you're allowing judgment to come into your work, then you're not the best person to support others. Yeah. You need to step back and you need to have great empathy and imagine, well, what is it like for that person? We'll ask them to tell me. Well, they're not going to tell you until they they feel that connection and they they trust you. They're just yeah. not going to. I'm going to tell you what's going on inside their mind. I have been. I have been accused of being a mind reader and I often do bring my crystal ball out on the screen, which is hugely amazing because if you push a button, all the fairy lights go on in it. Um, one of them. Yeah, I know. It, it works a trick. We do have one of those. But I have, Karen, I have just met some of the best people ever yeah. doing this work. I've met young people who I know if I was at school with them, they would be my best friend. Mm. Just love and adore them, just incredible human beings who have touched my soul. So when you come at supporting someone from that premise, you can't make it wrong. No. You really can't. You've just got to sit there, listen, validate, and then say, how can I help? It does help does it take you know when people come in you know, you know join your community and then I know there's got to be a little bit of time you you know adjusting to that trust you know I feel really safe now like that so that could be oh what are you doing got your headphones on I put headphones on because I live in a tin shed oh. and someone came in downstairs oh. sorry about that that's all right I can't hear um so like people are got to build the trust but once they're sort of feeling safe and they're feeling like yeah I belong in this community how long does it take, yeah. generally speaking, I know it's different for every single person, it can never be the same, but as a general rule, mm. how long does it take people to mm. to start to, and it's not just a case of change their eating habits, like that's not it. It's it's, it's the, the whole change no. of who I am, what, you know, all that stuff, the internal. Well, for starters, eating disorders aren't about food. They're about no. a way of coping with life yeah. that is overwhelming. So yeah. they're my, I'm checking out. Card. Just letting you know, it's all a bit much for me. I'm yeah. out. Yeah. And so, number one, you've got to figure out where that person's at. Now, often the families come in and their insider is in denial or doesn't want to have a bar of it. That doesn't scare us because we know their insider listens through the crack in the door. Yeah. Or often listen to the podcast and we just say to the families, step back give them space, you know, change your language in the way you invite them into this space. Don't tell them they need to do this or they need to do that because that's a demand of them that they're not going to respond to. Leave it with them. Like the Mormons, you know, leave the Book of Mormon there. They might pick it up later on, read it and join the church. You never know. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I did learn something. Um, So (laughs) it's about giving people alternate ideas Mm. but also staying and supporting and giving them time and space to be able to process that information. A lot of people who develop eating disorders are like me, have got a neurodiverse mind, um, have got a lot going on in their mind and they need that space to be able to think about it. So we teach families, do not panic. You've got a world-class healthcare system over there that will back you up. Mm. While you're learning this new language and thinking about this differently, what we want you to do is really start to gently 
try and have these conversations with your insider. Now, normally they get told to get fucked. Mm. Basically, it's none of your business. Mm. That doesn't scare us. That's just saying I'm not prepared to be vulnerable yet because how can I know that you're someone I can trust? I don't know that. So we need to give them time and space and build that trust. And I would say most times within three months we've got the insider in and they're participating Wow. So last week, last Wednesday night, we ran a session called Table Talk. Never done it before. Typical <laughs> us. Came up with this genius idea and I said, how about we do this? Yeah. So we come in, I'm going to give you a topic. You've got to go away and discuss it in your group. So insiders over there, parents there, parents there. And you're going to come up with your answers to these questions and we're going to come back and share them. But before we do that, I'm going to give you a scenario where you feel all these really negative emotions and we identify what happens when people make arbitrary decisions without our voice being represented. Mm. What does it feel like when no one asks you but just tells you what's going to happen? So we did that exercise and the the emotions they expressed were betrayal, hurt, anger, you know, all the negative yeah. ones. Yeah. Then I said, okay. Your kid wants to go off with their friend for two weeks camping. They've got an eating disorder and you know that that can. You've got to negotiate with them the terms of that. So off went the insiders, off went the parents. The parents were really like, oh, I don't want to tread on their rights and, you know, that's a real tough one. The insider said, oh, I'm a bit scared going away without my parents' supervision. So it was interesting because... Then they came back and shared that and then they built a framework for support of how those insiders could safely go. Wow. They loved it. Wow. They absolutely loved it. And I went, sure, that went well. Could have gone any direction because it was just one of my crazy ideas that I came up with and went, well, and I actually said to the group, this could be a total shit show or it could be a genius move. Let's. <laughs> That's it. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> but I love it. I always come at it from the viewpoint of education. We've got something yeah. to learn here. Yeah. And let let's go and see if we can learn this together yeah. and figure it out together. And um and so that's now part of our repertoire. People love table talk and um a mum today we have a group on Tuesdays called Stuck. The parents in that call themselves stuckers <laughs> and they're, they're stuck in what they're in and we come yeah. together and it's an informal thing. And one of the mums said, I want you to know that my daughter who is mute and has not uttered a word in two years has this week opened up and been talking to me because of the table talk. Wow. Yep. Wow. Yep. Yeah, so it's not rocket science. No, but it's no, that's that's the whole point, isn't it? It's just about compassion and bloody yeah. love and acceptance yeah. and caring yeah. and yeah. All, yeah. The, all the fluffy stuff that people don't believe in. Didn't you know that that yeah. we've got to have yeah. all these other fancy bloody formulas? Yeah. You know, yeah. No. Well, well, and what she needed was a platform to find her voice and a safe a safe environment to be able to talk and. No pressure on her. Now, she's been in the mainstream system for two years. Wow. Um, extremely yeah. unwell. Um, 
extremely unsafe a lot of the time, unable to speak, unable to communicate, but with the help of door two is finding her voice. We've got another one, Freddie. She'll be happy for me to tell this story because she's on the podcast. Um, she was in a locked ward, inside a locked ward for 14 months. She went in as a 12-year-old. Oh, Jesus. She came out as an almost 14-year-old and the horrors she experienced in there were beyond what anyone could ever imagine. Um, she had this amazing psychiatrist at the Royal Children's. Oh, incredible. And then another amazing psychiatrist who reached out to us with the mum and said, we don't know what to do here because she was being held down by security guards twice a day to have a tube put down her nose. Oh. She didn't speak. She was being traumatised twice a day. And this psychiatrist took me in there one day and showed me the trolley and I burst into tears and she burst into tears. She said, take a moment to process your emotions, but we're doing this to a 13-year-old to keep her alive, but we're traumatising her to the extent where I don't know if she can live. You know, like we're in this terrible situation. So we got involved and mm. um, we worked together with the family, with the Royal Children's, and after 14 months she came home on the 16th of January this year. Wow. Wow. And she's an extraordinary young person. Um, she's 14 and a half now and she's on the podcast so you can come and listen to Freddie. Now, we don't go into a lot of detail because the story is so brutal and graphic. You, yeah, you, yeah. you can't really do it justice in a podcast. Yeah, yeah. But um, she told me to get fucked a lot at the beginning, <laughs> get out of my room and don't come back. and she says to me now but now I love you because I had to learn she said you scared my negative mind because Mm. my vulnerable mind knew that you could see the wrong me and that was scary that you might be able to expect of me something that I didn't know I could do yet wow so that's that's deep oh these are not these are incredible human beings, Karen, who when you have a conversation with them, you go, and you're 14? I know. The things they care about, the things they think about, that's what I mean. I'm so privileged to know them. I wanted to know them when I was 14. I wanted to have them as a friend when I was 14. I've got one, Ashley. She's on the podcast. I just go, oh, Ashley, I would have killed to have you as a bestie. Mm-hmm. She goes, I'll be your bestie now, Jan. Don't worry. We can <laughs> hang out that. together. I love yeah. that. But it's yeah. just, it's not, it's, it's, um, when you say they're, you know, the brilliant minds and the brilliant, brilliant things that come out of their mouths, it's, it's, it's actually the basis to all this is the world's letting them down. That the yeah, world's right. just, yeah. just, there's no place yeah. available to, to be mm-hmm. thinking on those levels and, and having conversations yeah. on those levels. I mean, of course there is, but they're not yeah. accessible. You, they're not, they're not easy to find for people. Well, when you, when you're 14, you can't yeah. join the philosophy course at Melbourne no. University yet. No. But you should because that's where you'll feel most at home. So I can't ring up Melbourne Uni and go, look, I've got a genius here called Freddie. She needs to come and do advanced philosophy with you. They'd say, well, she'll need to go through high school, get an ATAR, get into the course, and really she just needs to go and do philosophy. Oh, do you know how many amazing kids I work with around the world, you know, that are so young and they yeah. are they yeah. are brilliant, and I don't know why universities and places like that don't have junior 
just junior mm. forums or something. You know what I mm. mean? Where we've got such a rigid bloody education system, and and I'm not yeah. just saying education, but the education system forms. Mm. You, you know all the all the decisions we make in in the yeah. way the structure of life and the structure of. Yeah. Look, I I managed to fail my way through school, Karen. I failed as a monitor on patrol. I couldn't figure out the stop sign and nearly got everyone run over. I failed as a checkout chick at Coles in the 1970s. I charged someone 14 bucks for a frozen chook. I don't even think they're that yet. Um, I, I failed my way through school, right, completely failed. In my VCE, I got 50 51, 52, 53 and 54 out of 100 for each subject. And my mother said, at least you're consistent. Ah. That was that was the best that I could do in mainstream school because I wasn't present in the classroom. Yeah. I was either dreaming that I was in Wuthering Heights <laughs> or I was creating a company in my head that I was going to create or I was... a I was on a stage in a play. I was an opera singer. <laughs> I was anywhere but in that classroom. And then I'd I'd come back to life. I'd reconnect with my body and go, what just happened? And it was a double in maths and I wasn't present for it. Yeah. But I went on to do a master in education at Monash University and I went all the way because I knew that and I started my PhD at Monash and I knew that if I wanted to be someone who effected change, I had to have qualifications to be able to say that I've got the right to do so. Yeah. But I have been absolutely, look, I think Jesus Christ had an easier time of it than me, to be honest. <laughs> I Trying to break into what is a medical world or a clinical world the rejection, the treatment of mainstream service providers has been brutal mm. and it hasn't just been brutal for one year, it's been brutal for 20, 23 years. So shame on everyone who sits out there and says someone who's not from their race or their group could not possibly know anything because that is the very definition of discrimination. Yeah, yeah. To say... How could you possibly know anything worthwhile? You're not one of us. No, I'm not one of you. I don't want to be one of you. My own daughter's one of you. She's a doctor. But she respects what I do Mm. because she knows that if someone has an eating disorder, I'm probably the one person who could reach into their soul and find them and speak to them. You don't go to uni to learn how to do that. No, no. You're never going to learn that at any mainstream course. So, yes, I needed to go to university to become qualified, to speak with some sort of authority, but I shouldn't have had to do that. No. And that's actually what's wrong with our world is that we are, we're we're absolutely snobs Mm. when it comes to qualifications and um, we don't look at the incredible work that happens in those peripheral ancillary areas where people do incredible work that is life-changing. So if you are Yogi the Bear and in Yellowstone Park, you have discovered that by climbing a tree and whistling Dixie out of your arse, you can can cure an eating disorder. I want to know about that. Mm. 
Yeah. But the mainstream system won't. It will say, where's the empirical evidence? So yes. as a result, door two had to go and become evidence-based treatment, which we have now done. So we keep going back to the mainstream system and saying we need to qualify ourselves here in order to be allowed to exist. Mm. And that's wrong. That is just plain ordinary wrong. Um, I, I think what's really sad is that it's it's hard and lonely carving a path alongside others and them not playing nicely with you and saying, oh, that's that weird girl over there that does things differently. Mm. But this time it hasn't been lonely. I have this incredible community around me who love me, support me, I love them right back, and we're growing in numbers every single day. And I think actually it is the tipping point of that lived experience of whatever it is that you're in, whether it's your your gender journey, your race journey, your um, your not neurodiverse journey, whatever you're in, if you're different and you've been excluded, you just need to find your tribe, your group of people who are going on that same path with you mm-hmm. and support one another. And that's what door two is. It's yeah. this it's got a lot of great resources in it. Um, you know, if one thing I am is my ADHD means I'll sit up all night writing programs and making up jazzy new um, groups. We roll out groups every week. We roll out about 40 individual sessions a week. We do more than any of the big organisations, the big not-for-profits in Australia. How do people um, access your services? How do they get hold of you and, like? Well, you just email help at door2.com.au and you'll hear back from us right away. Yeah. And anyone anyone can come? Anyone can come. Um, We're a pretty cheap service. We have a fee for membership because that's how we funded ourselves. Instead of going down that old chestnut of not-for-profit, which everybody does, and you're all competing for a piece of non-existing pie, we explored um, that social enterprise model or a profit-for-purpose model in order to generate revenue so that we could help people. Mm. So we're a membership model, but families are funded through Carer Gateway because Carer Gateway have recognised that we're very niche and we're very needed. That's good. And and so now we do carer coaching, um, one-on-one carer coaching. We do individual psychology sessions with um, insiders, but that's taken by an insider herself who's recovered with me for 14 years and um, is now a psychologist. We've got insider guides, so people who are inside an eating disorder experience who can share their experiences with others. Um, we have groups for insiders, groups for carers, um, and we meet every week. There's a two-hour webinar or group every week plus a support group every week plus individual sessions Wow. So people can access us through their NDIS, they can access us through Care Gateway, or they can just join as a private citizen. And the joining fee for 12 months to access everything at all is $1,750. Geez, that's cheap. And then, yeah, that's good for a year. Well, that, they work out to $30 a group. Yeah, that's right. Great. So even if you didn't bother with Care Gateway, a session with a psychiatrist, 
a, a one session will cost you between six to eight hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. So you get to come and hang out with us for the whole year for less, you know, like two sessions with a psychiatrist. And we know not everyone can access that, and that's where Care Gateway comes in. That's where NDIS comes in. <clears throat> um, we've also got Medicare rebates for psychology. So our hope is that yeah. everyone can find a way to yeah. fund themselves into yeah. door two. Um, individual sessions, of course, are charged at individual rates, but they're also funded under Care Gateway and NDIS and Medicare. Mm. So we've tried really hard to bring about a really sustainable model of care for everyone. And every single cent that we earn goes back in to but grow that's it. That's really cheap. I think that's cheap. You know, it, it's, you know, I know that it's hard for some families to get I know I know that to get that money but when you think about your your loved one's life like it it's mm-hmm. and 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 the success that you're having do you, you know that you do you do have success with them and it's it's like you paid 750,000 you, you, so so I'm just looking yes, at this yes. it's both driving me mad so 17 1700 is um is I think that is invaluable for what you get, and yep, you, and you yep. get your person. You get your person, you know, like well, well, you get your person, you get your people, you get your crowd, you get yeah. your everything. Yeah. Um, we've got people who joined us on that initial six week program. They're still with us. Some of them have recovered, but they're still with us because they just love us so much. They're coming to hang out, and we have a really fun time at yeah. door two as well. We do quizzes somewhere. For our second birthday, uh, the prize was a home visit by Jan. I said, I don't know if that's actually a prize for some people might not want that, but a family in Adelaide won that. So I flew to Adelaide and hung out for the day with them and spent time with them. And um, we try really hard to make recovery not drudgery, but something that we can work on together and support one another together. A lot, a lot of people with autism autism and ADHD and neurodiversity and just starting to get our first crop of 13-year-old boys through. Oh, wow. Which is really fantastic because for so long males with eating disorders feel that there isn't anywhere for them to go. It's a very female-dominated space. Um, And we're really starting to get our gender diverse ones through now, which is exciting for us, really exciting because they're new challenges for us to learn together and mm. sit with them in their space and have them explain to us what it feels like for them mm. and for us to really listen and try to respond to that. I mean, the basic premise of recovery is the same for everyone, but we all come at it from a different place because we're unique mm. and individual. So I'm pretty proud of it, actually. Yeah. You bloody should um, be. I think it's bloody fantastic. Yeah. And I'm a bit blown away sometimes. I do pinch myself and go, okay, so where are we? What are we doing next year? We're hiring new people. We're getting bigger. We're all over Australia, our team are. So Jenny runs admin. We call her the mothership. She She's up in on the Gold Coast yeah. and she she drives around like, you know, those Amy girls on the ad with the yeah. headpiece on? Taking and she's she's always 
I actually have to say to her, stop emailing me at two o'clock in the morning. Like wow. I have to sleep sometimes. She's amazing. We have Kelsey down in Geelong. We have Audrey. We have Izzy. We have Rachel up in Brisbane. Um, and we've got Ruby. She's in Bali at the moment. And then we have more people coming next year. And we record our sessions. And so we have this huge bank of over 35 two-hour sessions that families can go watch. Wow. And then we've got the podcast as well. What about before we get on to the podcast? What about people from um overseas? Can they can they yep. You, yep. You just there they can come as long as they're yep. up at the room? Right yeah. Anyone can come. We've got we've got families from Perth, Darwin, all on different time zones. Sometimes families tune in from their car. Um because it's all online, they can you know, like one today stuck said, I can't type my answer in the chat box because I'm driving and yeah. um, so I can only listen. I've got no camera. I can only listen. Um, we have families from Canada, from New Zealand, from England, from everywhere. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're worldwide, baby. We're everywhere. Yeah, I'm bloody glad you are. No, I'm glad you are because I'm sure every other country still has the same bloody issues. Tell us about the podcast. What's it called? Well, the podcast is called Inside Door 2. Because door. door 2 is all about, well, behind Door 1, we all know what you get there. You get mainstream treatment. You get with power, without power. You get voice without voice. Whereas we've turned it inside out and said, we're working from the inside out. We want to hear from the insiders about your experience so we can now understand that and then work together. Yeah. So we were going to call it the insiders and Rachel, our dietitian, said, no, it needs to be inside door two because mm. people on the outside are going to want to know what happens What's inside in there? door two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's yeah. in there? What's inside door two? <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's available on Spotify. Um, we're looking at putting it on other platforms, but it drops every Wednesday, yeah. usually towards the night time, and it's got a really good mix in there but it's really honest yeah and but that's what people need yeah 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 we don't sugarcoat it in there um the thing that we know about eating disorders is that it's it's a brutal experience for people so we can't pretend that there's a simple answer because there is not yeah yeah. there is not there's there's one treatment called family-based therapy that they roll out in every hospital and it's basically saying to the parents, you do whatever you need to do to force your kid to eat. You cancel their life. You take their phone away. You do what you need to do. But if you don't bring that child back every week and if they haven't gained another kilo, you're failing as a parent. That's it. Fucking hell. And then when the parents question it, they're told of the medical risks that they're posing to their child. So a bit like the Mormon religion, really. It's threat you don't get to go to heaven if you don't follow the rules, it follows the same follows the same premise. It doesn't make sense to me. But that's all and everything what? in life. I reckon it's that this paternal fucking society that we're built is that I'm going to yeah. threaten you to do as your body yeah, right. told, and then you're that's right. 
You live in fear that if you don't do it, yeah. you'll be excluded or rejected. You, you know, so we obey That's so exactly that we to the fucking tribe. Yeah. And it, yeah. it gives you the shits and people don't realise that you do not have to mm-hmm. subscribe to that, you know, because no. because there are a ton of other people that have been ejected from the t- tribe. So just hang out together and, and do, do the exactly right That's exactly what we are yes, at Door know. 2. We've all been ejected from the tribe. Yep. And I'm so grateful that we got ejected yeah. because I would have lasted in FBT. I wouldn't have lasted more than a moment because my child would not have done, even if I had cancelled her life, even if I had, if she had a mobile phone because back then we didn't have them, mm. If it, she wouldn't have cared. I, it's all based on this premise that you have leverage over your child. Yeah. But that's not the kind of parent I am and that's not the kind of parent I was ever going to be. So what FBT does is it takes parents and turns them into someone who their child doesn't recognise and talk about trauma. And those parents are also traumatised because they think they are doing the right thing to change, you know, to save their child's life. Now, there are some FBT zealots out there. Good luck to you. If it works for your kid, go for it. But if it's not working for your child, come to door two. And we'll teach you a much kinder, more compassionate, empathic way to work together because your child has rights. Adios. And and you as the parent have rights and you have the right to understand that there are other ways to recover. There's not only one way. There's not one religion. Mm. There's not one treatment for cancer. I can't think of another illness where we treat people with such contempt mm. to say to them, if you don't listen to what I tell you, your child's going to die. Mm. You'll be back. Mm. You'll realise that I'm right and you're wrong. Who does that? And oh. excludes them from treatment if they don't. Look, this is what we're offering you. If you don't like what we're offering, um, there's another church down the road you can go to. Off you go. Mm. But you're you're out of heaven, basically. And I don't understand why we don't have well, why we're not in arms, up in arms about this treatment because it is a violation of people's rights and we do live in 2023 not 1903 I would understand it back then I don't understand it in today's context and there's no room for diversity in there none mm. at all so I don't believe we still exist like that like I, I'm th- when you're talking about, I'm thinking of you know, cute cottages and and yeah. forcing people to have lobotomies and you know that that's the yeah. sort of stuff that's. I know it's, I know they're not bloody doing that, but it, it's the same principle of of saying mm-hmm. you've got no choice. I'm in yeah. control of your body. Um, I'm yeah. going to do what I think's best yeah. for you, just mm. no, no matter how much pain I cause you. And the and the point is. People with eating disorders are already in pain. You can't heal pain with more pain. Like you, no, you heal no. pain with love. Like that's the only way you can. Yeah, that's right. Get to pain. Yeah, and it's and oh, anyway, anyway, yeah, all right. Now, yeah, yeah, so, you, you work really well in door two with no, zero qualifications, and your qualification <laughs> is that you just love people unconditionally. Um, I've got a little bit more going for me than that, and that is that I do understand what's going on inside their mind. I do understand the pathway to getting them to buy in to their own opportunity to recover. But that comes from my business thinking. 
Mm. You've got to bring people with you. You can't just force people into change. You've got to help them see that this is actually a good thing for you Mm. um, and I'm going to walk slowly beside you as you go through that change. Mm. But what the hospital system does and what um, FBT does is it forces people to change. And then it says, okay, your weight restored now, so you recovered, your brain is switched back on. And they relapse. And then they say, well, we've done everything that we've meant to have done. Uh, You've failed. Your parents have failed. You've failed. See you later. Yeah. Um, And that's why we have such a crisis in eating disorders at the moment because we have this one-size-fits-all approach. But now we've got door two. So hopefully Mm. we can start the healing journey for some people at least who find us and who yeah. um, join us. Yeah. I love it. So so people can email you. Is What was it? Help at door2.com.au. That was it. Yeah. Well, I'd give you Jenny's number, which ah! is Jenny at Well, she'll still be awake. Well, she will. She never sleeps. She's got ADHD like the rest of us. <laughs> no, we'll just get emails um, or do emails. So it's actually help at door2.com.au or Jenny at door2, Jenny with two N's, Y, at door2.com.au. And the podcast is Inside Door 2 and you'll find that on Spotify. I did destroy our website accidentally and turned it into sort of a landing page, but we are getting a new website. It's just not top priority for works, me at the moment. But it still works, so that's door2.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and by the way, we should say that door2 is the number two. So door2number2.com.au, yeah. mm, that, that mm, website mm, still works because yeah. I just checked it out. Yeah, just whatever you do, stay away from door one. It's a bit scary, right? <laughs> So if it's got a number one on it, move to number two. <laughs> I love it. We've had families um, email us and say we'd like to join door three. One wanted to join door eight. And we have the best laugh because we go, we're not up to eight yet. We're still working <laughs> on two. <laughs> I love it. And you're but yeah. you're also on Instagram too as well. Yeah. And and that is um door two uh, eating disorders, if I can yep, remember right. Yep, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. just all one word, door to eating disorders, and Facebook is door to eating sort of recovery. And I recovery from eating I do not know how to change the handle on one to be the same as the other. So just go to Insta. Just yeah, go to Insta, door to eating disorders. I looked it up on Facebook and couldn't find it. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's fine. door to eating disorder recovery on Facebook, recovery. and I don't know why they're different because – I did do that tech accelerator course, but like my like my high school, I failed. And they looked at me in despair and went, "It's a good thing she's got a good idea." Yeah. Um, so, so when it comes to tech, it's not my thing. Yeah. No, well, it doesn't. I'm matter. good at coming up with the ideas, not good at implementing them. Yeah. Yeah. But that doesn't matter. We've got the, we've got Insta, we've got the website, we've got the podcast, yeah. and we've got we've got help at door2.com.au and we've got lovely Jenny who's up all night answering emails <laughs> every time you email her, Jenny at dot at door2.com.au. Yeah, and and Jenny is, I've got to say, she is the mothership. She is hovering everywhere, waiting to take your email or your call. <laughs> She's gonna kill me. 
<laughs> you should all send their emails. Yeah, she will. Her. She'll murder me. Yeah. Yeah. Good mm. cheers. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. Well, Jan, I've absolutely loved this conversation. I, I yeah, it's been love awesome. You, love your work. You know I do. I just think we've yeah. been meaning to do this podcast for bloody, I don't know, two years now. But anyway, yeah. doesn't matter. We've done it. And um, yeah, I just yeah. I love what you're doing. I love the love that you put into your work. You know, I love the kindness mm-hmm. and where you come from. I think it's uh, there were more people doing that, the world would be a much better place. So thank you for playing your part in that and you know, your small corner of the world that isn't quite so small really when it when you think about the, no. ripple, the ripple effect. Of, uh, you know. I do have to say that if you are feeling lonely out there or feeling like you can't do something, you absolutely can. Get along, get off the bench, yeah. go join a men's club, go join a bowling club, just keep trying to find your tribe. If you've got an eating disorder, if you're parents of someone with an eating disorder or carers, we've got a partner in there, just, you know, reach out to us at Daughter. You're not on your own. There's this amazing community of people who will take care of you. Um, and I don't want anyone to feel alone in this. Mm, That's yeah. probably one of the worst things is that families come to us and one mum sat there at her first group with us and just burst into tears and said, I've been so alone. Yeah, I've felt so isolated and thankfully she doesn't now. So, you know, we could just start door three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, Karen, for all the different groups that we need to create safe spaces for people to come into and feel included. Um, And, look, my great wish is that, we'd all stop looking at each other with judgment and we'd start yeah. looking at each other with love and acceptance yeah. and recognise that Jesus was black. Yeah, <laughs> he was, yeah. I'm sticking <laughs> to my guns there. Well, at least he had olive well, skin anyway. We're not too sure. We're not We're not too sure where he sat on the spectrum there, but he, he had definitely Well, he olive was born skin. in Jerusalem, yeah. so he, he didn't have my colouring. He would have got burnt to a crisp. So... Can the Mormons just get that bit right? <laughs> well, not just the Mormons, all, not, all of them, all of them. <laughs> yeah, like he's he's not a white man. He's not, and and to state with thirteen year old that people of color can't join the church because they, you know, carry wow. the mark of Cain, just didn't make sense to me. And I'm so glad I've got that rebellious duck inside my mind, yeah. which is, yeah, that doesn't make sense. So I've always been someone who's loved everyone and just mm. wants everyone to be in my tribe, in my village. And yeah. that's really what we have in the world. We have this opportunity to be in this life together mm and to just really listen and understand where every single person's coming from. And, boy, what a rich life you all have if you do that. Yeah. Your life will get better and better. Yeah. Yeah. And every single person on the planet has a story, has a backstory. Every single person. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And we're, and and um, for anyone out there who thinks that they might be less than equal, less worthy, you're not. You're absolutely worthy. You're worthy because you are, because you exist. You don't become 
worth more as you go through life and you achieve and you get houses and cars and stuff like that, that doesn't alter your worth. Your worth is finite. It's there when you're born. It's there when you die. And it doesn't change through life. It's your existence, you, isn't it? Yeah. Your worth is your existence. Yeah. Yeah. Your worth is is because you are. Yeah. That's a bit philosophical, I know, but it doesn't alter. Mm. What alters are our judgments, mm. our perceptions. perceptions yeah. And yeah. they're not particularly helpful things because um, they're not based on fact. Well, judgments, the, judgments, perceptions and expectations, those three yes. are just yeah. a dirty little trio, really. Yeah, they are a dirty. I like that. I'm putting that into door too. <laughs> Go on. dirty little trio. <laughs> <laughs> the dirty little trio that's that'll be attributed to you Karen. oh that's fine we have I a don't... beautiful uh, yeah. we have a beautiful beautiful mentor in door two her name is lauren and she's taught everybody in door two to look for sparkle moments because oh. they're everywhere yeah yeah and she said one night when we were talking about trying to find acceptance from others, and she said, you can be the juiciest peach in the world, but there'll always be someone who doesn't like peaches. Exactly, exactly. And it's just stuck with us. We use it all the time in door two. Yeah. Um, and she's, this, she's studying nursing at the moment, and she's someone who struggled to see her worth as an equal we we've we've forced it onto her now, Karen. Yeah. We've we've forced her to accept that she's. We've just spent the whole podcast talking about not forcing. But that's good. That's <laughs> but we we have forced quality and yeah. worthiness on you, Lauren. Um, <laughs> but what I've discovered is that those people who feel less worthy go out of their way to build others up. Yep. At their own expense. Yep. And they need to come back and they need to take care of themselves first and foremost and then take care of others. Yeah. 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 Fill your so, cup up first. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. There's a lot of truth in the oxygen mask, uh, so, uh, whatever they call it, concept, yeah. you know, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I'm just going back to our dirty little trio so I can yeah. remember to write it all Judgment, down. Judgment, perceptions, With- expectations. Oh, uh, yeah. Look, I think we could go on the Oprah show. Does that <laughs> still exist? <laughs> Oprah would love it. She'd, uh, she'd get right into it, I reckon. <laughs> well, it's true. It's true. They're all things that are not based on truth. In fact, they're based on they're based on your interpretation of something that's, mm. that's based, comes from your a belief of some bloody thing that's been plotted into you from some experience yeah, yeah. that you've interpreted yeah. differently. Yeah, it's, w- w- if we really, if we really stopped and thought, and most of the time we don't because we don't want to dig deep into the truth because then we might have to face some vulnerability and pain. Yeah, but the truth is, most of what we bloody think is completely fucking wrong. It, it, it's just yeah. we're driven. Yeah by this whole um, this belief system that is mm. not accurate. And I always say to people, is, is that belief true or perceived? And they're mm. like, no, or it's true. It's a true belief. Say, yeah, but the outcome of it and everything else is it yeah. perceived? Yeah. Well, well, one of the things that we've had the, the 
privilege of learning about is the internal narrative of people's minds as they share that with us. And I always like to say, we call it the negative mind because it's negative, it's fearful, it's mistrusting of the outside world and it's there to protect you. It's meant to tell you to check for cars, but it actually says don't be part of life, it's too scary. Um, And I always say the loudest voice doesn't make it right. Yeah. Just makes it loud. It's just the loudest. Um, And you listen for the small voice, the one that is waiting respectfully to be heard for its turn, not the one that's talking over the top of everyone and screaming to be heard and bullying its way through. But also the cruel voice doesn't make it right. It just makes it cruel. It's always the one that gets the... We're really... Go on. Yeah, it's a squeaky wheel, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, it's a squeaky wheel. You know, always gets the rewards, you know, a bit of oil. Yeah. Yeah, always, yeah. I agree with you. I remember some... uh, I can't think what it was. This um, anyway, it was a, this type of concept that that imagine all these, and this is not a black and white. It's not a racist sort of thing, but you know all these dark, negative sort of um, little bodies inside you. You know, like a gathering. Do you, yeah. you know what I mean? And the yeah, little, little yeah, dark energies, yeah. and and they're all saying, "Oh, you're too fat. You're ugly. You're stupid. You're useless. You're fuck that. You're not. You're all that." Mm-hmm. And and it's this concept of this. There's one little white one in there that's just a pure, a pure little thought, you know, in there. Find yeah. that one. Find that one. Like mm-hmm. look through all the shit till you find mm-hmm. that one and listen. What's that one saying? Mm-hmm. And it's just it's like what you're saying. Find that little voice, you know. It's I, I like to describe our authentic self. Yeah. As sometimes being so beaten down, we're carrying behind the chair. Yeah, yeah. And all we can see is the chair. We can't see that the self is in that fetal position behind. But always know that the authentic self is there. So even if the behaviour that you're seeing is really hard yeah. to take and hard to understand and confusing, look beyond the behaviour mm-hmm. and you're going to see the authentic self there, afraid, beaten down, yelled at, screamed at, yeah. you know, oppressed. Yeah. Reach out to that person. Reach out to that part of the self. Yeah. Don't don't engage too much with the behaviour because the behaviour is the decoy. Yeah. 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 So in there are things that I learned in teaching. You know, I had I had a long career in teaching before I moved over to eating disorders. And I remember this one time um, I the great Mr. Butters, he'd come back from being a school principal and he was a grade six teacher. And the only the only reason why Mr. Butters was a grade six teacher was the only one that could control the boys. <laughs> and so I was taking the grade six for two days because Mr. Butters was going to be away. And he sat me down and he said, I'm going to have to give you the rundown. I said, no, I've got it. And he goes, no, you don't understand, Jen. They're going to murder you. And I said, no, they won't. He goes, oh, the cocky young ones, they think they know everything. I wasn't a young one. And I said, I think I've got it. And he, he said, now this one, you've got to bolt him down quick. You've got to take his lunch away and you've got to do this. I walked in with a newspaper. I sat down and started reading the newspaper and waited. They were chucking chairs. They were changing seats. They were out of control. I just read the newspaper. Then I got my cup of coffee. Then I put my feet up on the table and they said, you're not allowed to do that. I said, I can do anything I like. It's a classroom. 
you're demonstrating that. I'm just, you know, I'm doing my own thing. And eventually one of the girls came up and said, are you going to teach the class? And I said, well, it depends. Are you guys happy for me to teach the class? And she said, not really. We don't want to be here. And I said, well, I don't really want to be here either. It's pretty crap. Anyway, she said, well, you have to call the roll because we're going to take it over to the office. So I called the roll. And they're all answering to the wrong name. So I said, well, I was going to play a game of continuous cricket today, but I guess we can't do that because I don't know who you are. So they all swapped seats and went back. And then they quieted down. And then they said, do you even want to be here? And I said, not really. Why would I want to be here when you're all treating me like a piece of crap? Mm. How about we hit reset, we sit down, have a conversation with each other, find out a bit about who we are, and we'll take it from there. And the big boys said, well, we want to know that we're going to be playing continuous cricket. And I said, well, really that's up to you, not up to me. If you're not able to control your behaviour, you can't go out in the oval with a cricket bat and a ball. You're dangerous. Yeah. So, so anyway, they were all settled down and sitting at the desks and, you know, can we do anything to help by recess time? <laughs> And we had a great two days. So Mr Butters came back and expected half the kids to have been expelled, but they were all sitting at the desk and they'd all completed their work and we'd had a couple of games of continuous cricket and happy days. And he said, how did you do it? And I said, oh, it's called skill. (laughs) (laughs) You know, as a a skill as a human being, um, looking into human behaviour, why do people behave the way they do? They expected me to come in there. and lay the law down and tell them they couldn't do anything, and I didn't do that. So I took them by surprise. Then they were curious about, well, why hasn't she done that yet? So they started leaning in and listening and going, well, when's she going to come down heavy on us? Well, well, maybe she's not going to. So (laughs) the whole two days was about being curious and trying to find out who I was as a person rather than me go in there and just yell and scream at them and tell them off and put them all in detention. Yeah. So I always, as a teacher, I always underdid my role as a teacher and waited for them to show me who they were and what they needed, and it worked. Yeah. And those basic premises are what we do in Door 2. It is Mm. we're here to listen and we're here to help you. We're not going to tell you what to do. Yeah. That's not our role. So, but we'll work with you on it. And it's more of an invitation to really be collaborative. Yeah. And work together. So I love it. It's a good it's a good place. I I couldn't last any more in the mainstream system. I was gonna get sacked. (laughs) Basically, the the school principal came to me one day and said, I believe you called me a dickhead behind my back, and I said, No. If I think you're a dickhead, I'll tell you to your face. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it behind your back. Right? So no, that's not true. And whoever said that I said it, they're trying to throw me under the bus. And yeah, that's not good. So 
I've always been someone who's put flags on the roof of the school, done things differently, gotten attention for the school, and that can rock the feathers of the mainstream door one people. It can. It makes them feel threatened and vulnerable, um, especially when 16 kids out of my grade are getting scholarships and none out of theirs and everyone wants their kid in my grade. That makes them feel defensive. Yeah, yeah. So I was kind of used to it when I moved into the eating disorder space and it's just continued on. I'm the most hated woman in Texas, Karen. Oh, who cares? I'm glad you like you are. <coughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think you've got to be prepared to ruffle a few feathers along yeah. the way and yeah. and that's about being authentic and true to who you are and yeah. speaking up for the people who you need to speak up for and be an advocate for, yeah. Because they need you, yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They do. But they have got their own voices. Yeah. They have and they do find them and mm. that's important that we don't speak for people but we help people speak for themselves yeah. and create pathways for them to be heard yeah yeah all right well speaking i better go because um we better go I better we've been go. waffling better on go. for hours now. i better go and be nice to the teenager now you've convinced me. <laughs> right how, long, how long do you how long do you have to cut this podcast down to I'm not cutting it down. I haven't got time for that shit. It's going out. I haven't got time for that. <laughs> oh, you don't have time to edit. We've we've waxed lyrical. We've wandered all over the countryside. Um, yeah. It is well, I guess is. when I guess when you get old, you have lots of stories to tell, don't you? you bloody oath you do. Yeah. Buddy. And it's evidence. It's evidence of a rich life lived well. I think. I reckon too, and the wrinkle when is. You've got I reckon that. every wrinkle tells a bloody story. There's a story. Yeah, every, every my car, my stomach is covered in scars from cesareans, appendix, yeah. bowel operations, two yeah. hip replacements. I'm I'm like Edward Scissorhands, but it's all part of my story. Yeah, that's what I reckon too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, lovely talking to you, Kim. Well, we'll have to have you on our podcast now. Yeah, I think have, I've been on once, haven't I? No, not on your podcast. I know oh, you you came yeah. in and did a door two yeah. session. We need to do a podcast and talk right. about get off the bench and everything else. All right, let's do it. All right. All right. See All right. ya. Okay, Bye. see ya. <laughs> Bye-bye. Ta-da. Oh, guys, how was that? I love that. I, I love going at things from from a place of love and compassion and kindness and, you know, not not trying to bloody push people into stuff. And Jan's just such a trooper. I'm so glad that she um, is, is still and has been all her life disobedient because I think it takes somebody like that to say, screw this isn't this thing isn't working and therefore I'm going to persist and I'm going to start something up myself. I actually think it takes that type of personality to do it. So if you've got a person um, that you love who you think may have an eating disorder or if you just want to talk to somebody about it, even whether you think they have or not, um, or if you definitely know you've got somebody with one, please reach out to Jan and the crew at Door 2. And that email again was info at door2, number 2comau or jenny at door 2 .com.au and just send them a message and, you know, um, just say, hey, I need help. So I really hope this has uh, hit you and I hope that you 
Um, I don't know, maybe this will save someone's life. That's what I care about. So it's been a long one. Sorry about that, but I think it's been full of valuable information. Hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you so much for joining me again, and I'll see you next week. See ya. Thanks for joining me. As always, I hope this episode inspired you. If you know somebody who's taken courageous action to create something that's making a difference for other people, let me know about it. Go to my website, karenvaughan.com, tinker around there, have a bit of a look and send me a message. I can't wait to hear from you. And remember, you're worth it. Your unique talents and gifts need to be out in this world. And I'm so passionate about inspiring you to achieve that. So you've listened to this episode. Just say yes, make the decision and put one foot in front of the other. See you next week.